Welcome back to the Joshua Shaw audio experience. Firstly, thank you for giving me a bit of your attention. I'm honored you trusted me with it, and I promise to return the favor by giving you a ton of edutainment value back. In my newest podcast episode, I break down why esports might be the most misunderstood opportunity in the sports nutrition industry. But before we get started, I would love if you took 49 seconds out of your day to leave a rating or review on whichever podcasting platform you're currently listening to. This helps me immensely in terms of extending the reach of my podcast, but more importantly, allows me to make improvements based on your feedback. Thank you again. Now enjoy my newest podcast episode. Gaming and esports can be described in many ways. It's a vibrant and fast-growing sector of the economy. It's a legitimate means of monetization in today's attention economy. And it's an entertainment medium for billions of enthusiasts around the globe. It might also be one of the most misunderstood opportunities in the supplement industry right now. With an increasing number of people playing, broadcasting, and watching esports, the already booming multi-billion dollar gaming ecosystem is without a doubt cementing itself as a straight up cultural phenomenon. Gaming and esports are distinct yet integrated ecosystems. They share a common value chain up to and including game distribution, after which esports continues through events and other consumption-driven adjacencies. Esports is a subset of gaming and is simply defined as competitive gaming played individually or in teams. Just as any other sport, there are many levels of competition from a group of friends self-organizing tournaments, maybe in a basement, to more professionalized amateur competitions to well-established professional leagues with multi-million dollar prize pools. Esports is one of many emerging trends within the market, something much broader than the elite gamers playing a handful of specific titles. And it's important to not anchor yourself to this elitist competitor bias because you'll likely miss the massively valuable opportunities to your supplement brand. So I think it's hard to deny that esports has massive potential. The global esports audience is almost five times larger than the one that watches the NFL Super Bowl annually. But here's the problem with people that throw around sensationalized data points like that. It gets you excited, but it doesn't give you the deeper context needed to assess the overall opportunity. That data point was an aggregation and doesn't reflect the opportunity in any one esport. Each video game is essentially a new sport, which has its own esports athletes, gaming personalities, and ecosystem built around it. Although numerous video games have competitive formats, popularity is highly concentrated around the top 10 games, which account for almost 90% of the esports hours watched. When picking a community to target, I believe assessing the competitive element strategy of the video games is essential. These competitive elements are a rising tide with the potential to increase retention and monetization, thus in turn drives stronger community as well as encouraging higher skill levels among players, both of which support stronger consumption of gaming streams and videos. That pattern recognition has sent teams scrambling to expand into broader gaming culture and beyond, treating esports more like a customer acquisition funnel. This paradigm shift is important for any business looking at the gaming and esports market because organizations like FaZe Clan or 100 Thieves and a handful of others have become culturally relevant across intersections of gaming, 
fashion, music, and entertainment, just to name a few. There is a growing trend towards gaming content as a form of entertainment. Whether it be fans watching an esports competition, gamers looking for tips and tricks to improve their own gameplay, or simply community members following their favorite influencers' content. And I'd argue streaming audiences in any of these forms is more valuable than typical sports. This is because the power of community and real-time chat features on the streaming platform drives and deepens engagement and stickiness. Since esports competition and entertainment are now acutely intertwined, it's important to not understate how influential individual gamers are to this opportunity. Like traditional sports and entertainment, gaming is becoming more personality-driven by the day. So the key to successful esports marketing is to meet the target audience where they are and deliver your message in a way that will resonate with them. But who are you like delivering that message to and are they actually receptive to it? So let's start at some consumer demographics that might actually surprise you. Gamers have become a diverse group. They're no longer the stigmatized, nerdy, and overweight young white males who live in their parents' basement. One third of the global population would be considered a gamer. The average gamer is in their mid-30s, owns a home, and has children. The gender mix is 60% male and 40% female. They also tend to be successful professionals with 49% of the cohort earning more than 100K a year. In terms of audience interest in non-endemic brands marketing efforts, gaming influencers are the most effective channel for esports marketing and are a major trusted source for brand discovery, but it wasn't always that way. In October 2012, esports journalist Jeff Kegley addressed the gaming world in a set filled with Doritos and Mountain Dew product placement. People reacted so poorly at the thought of gaming getting corrupted by brands that the event snowballed into something called Doritos Gate. A lot has changed in the last decade, which can be seen in kind of a full circle moment for PepsiCo that recently gave esports personality Dr. Disrespect his own limited edition Mountain Dew Game Fuel flavor, and it sold out in 72 hours. The extremely important lesson here is authenticity matters a lot. Any supplement brand that is looking to the esports trend should understand that authenticity is absolutely key to having any success in the market. Gamers want to support those that are in the community. So a supplement brand should be asking themselves, what can we do to impact this community genuinely and positively? Those actions should be in process even before launching your product. It's important to remember that the gamer nutrition category is only at the proverbial starting screen. In my opinion, the game hasn't even technically started yet, so there is no reason for a supplement brand to rush strategies and allow FOMO to create bad first impressions with the esports audience. Slapping a new label on a pre-workout product with a few nootropic ingredients and making some kind of like cheesy graphics for social media based on preconceived notions of gamers will get you slaughtered in today's market. Don't be that supplement brand, please. It's honestly embarrassing to our industry and instead stop and think about it this way. Yes, there is a new customer cohort with unique desires and behaviors interested in performance nutrition products. That should invoke a feeling of internal examination at your supplement brand. Ask yourself if your supplement brand even has the right to win in this nascent market. 
Can you do it authentically within your current brand strategy or would there be an extensive overhaul needed? Those are just some of the things that would be going through at least my mind before new product development is even a discussion because to me, product is really the easiest part of this equation. Since we are on the topic of product, the current biggest opportunities are in energy, kind of cognition or focus, and hydration. I think a product's format and use occasion can be as important as its nutritional value, so brands should lean into convenience and in attaching themselves to natural routines. That being said, these natural routines aren't as ingrained into gamer lifestyles yet compared to like traditional sports nutrition customers. That evolutionary maturation will happen in the gamer nutrition category, but anyone looking at new opportunities for product category differentiation will need to be patient. In my opinion, the category with the biggest long-term potential outside of energy, cognition, focus, and hydration will be within like the sleep and relaxation category. I also think more clinically backed active ingredients that do targeted relevant studies on gamers, like what Nutrition 21 has done with New Level, will be increasingly important. My stance has always been that science is important when marketing supplements, but you must make consumers give a shit about it. Finally, I wanted to quickly talk about the competitive landscape. If we are including active nutrition categories like energy and sports drinks, then Brands like Red Bull, Monster Energy, and Gatorade would be the biggest players in terms of consumption dollars. But G Fuel is the category creator when it comes to ready-to-mix powdered energy supplements marketed to gamers. It also still is the market leader. The brand has also evolved its product portfolio to include energy drinks and hydration beverages. Another brand offering energy drinks and powdered gamer supplements is Ghost. They have quickly rose to the second biggest player in the esports nutrition market. And then rounding out the top five market leaders globally would be Advanced GG, Sneak, and Level Up, which is now owned by Glambia Performance Nutrition. To provide some additional depth and first-person operator perspective to this content, I recently discussed several trending and relevant gamer nutrition topics with my good friends Eric and Richard at Advanced GG. Here is that insightful conversation. So I got Eric and Richard from Advanced GG with me. Appreciate you guys uh, joining me and offering up a bunch of your guys' insights on the gamer nutrition kind of market, how that's evolving. You guys have done an extremely good job over the last, I think, four, four or five years that um, Advanced yep, GG has been that. around. Um, you guys have carved out a, a niche, a unique uh, perspective on the market and kind of executed very well on those things. But Eric, I wanted to mention, uh, I read this, uh, I think on LinkedIn, you probably mentioned it all over the place, but um, you said about an upcoming launch of an energy drink. Um, you guys have only been kind of focusing at least now, I think on the ready to mix powders, but yeah. um, kind of tease the energy drink. And that kind of brought up in my mind, and I think this is probably a pretty interesting topic to kind of bring up at the beginning is around like formats. And how gamers maybe look at that differently um, around, you know, if they want to go into the traditional kind of caps, powders, pills, that would be the typical sports nutrition or supplement market, or, you know, the food and beverage side of things. And how are gamers, like, I guess, approaching that, at least from your guys' perspective, are, are they leaning into the food and beverage side more still, or are they starting to come around to like the caps, powders, pills? First, thank you for having us on, Josh. Um, and that is a great question uh, to segue into. From my generalized anecdotal uh, understanding of the space, 
as of right now, there's there's only two vessels that you want to focus on, um, and that is a, a great tasting powder and the RTD. There are other things that that companies have been trying out, such as uh, gummies or, or chewing gum or um, other edibles like uh, you know like a protein bar or a meal replacement bar. I don't see any of that catching on just yet. It, it's it's just it's it's different with the gaming market. So to to penetrate the gaming community, um, there's a lot of different factors that are there at play, um, but it has to become normalized within the community for people to really jump on board. And right now, um, you know what they're used to is you know thanks to G Fuel, the 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 pre workout kind of powder for the energy, um, and then the RTD because RTD you know energy drinks are are, are um, just kind of naturally cool in the space already, maybe from, uh, you know, years of, uh, of advertising or market building by Red Bull and Monster, you know, seed planting there. Um, but right now it seems to be the, the RTD, um, is specifically the carbonated energy drink RTD or a, a great tasting powder is the only thing that's working as of right now. Now there might be other stuff that opens up. I mean, gum, um, it seems pretty promising to me, but I will say, I think the, the, one of the things that makes the powders and the RTDs successful is the, the, the long experiential effect that you get from it. So you really have a chance to like savor it and, and to enjoy it while you're gaming. Right. So for a prolonged period of time, whereas, uh, gummies, for example, or capsules, uh, the, the experiential effect of just popping something in your mouth is, is just hasn't caught on with gamers yet. They want to have something that they can, you know, sip on and, and drink for a while or the ease, you know, of, of a ready to drink, just pop open. And again, you can still sip on it. It still has a long experiential effect. Do you think some of that extends into, um, you know, non, I guess, energy or neuro type products? Like, is there some of that evolution happening towards, you know, protein beverages or, you know, protein ready to mix type powders? So I don't have hard data on this. But again, from my just anecdotal, my kind of gut feeling in, in just being in the space all the time, it hasn't caught on yet too well. I mean, there is a brand out there that's doing a meal replacement that's very, very um, gamer focused, very authentic, accepted in gaming already. Um, I think they're doing pretty well, but they are fully immersed. Like they are already a brand. But if you were to come out as an outsider with, with a meal replacement or a protein for gamers, it just hasn't really carved out yet in people's minds, like as something that's useful to them. I think they still look at it as something that um, people do in, in the fitness space, right? Like it, it's for bodybuilders or for people that are, you know, into working out every day. And that's not me. Whereas G Fuel was able to take a pre-workout, you know, product and, and tell gamers that this can also be used for you guys. That, that just hasn't happened yet uh, in, in the protein world. Yeah, I think a lot of that... We're talking about the, you know, a lot of sports nutrition brands that typically would be focused on, you know, bodybuilders or, you know, just athletic people um, in the sense of like physical activity or, or those. Sort of, I think there's a larger, I guess, sample size of like routine building or like heritage information where you, you pass it down and you're kind of telling people like, you know, in the before your workout, you do this, before, you know, after work, there's this kind of like routines that get based in that market where, you know, maybe the gaming market hasn't had the time to establish like these 24 hour type of routines that you say, Hey, 
this time is when you normally take this type of product, this time when you take this, it's more of like, okay, I'm getting ready to go drinking an energy drink or drinking something like a, you know, focus or an energy powder. Those have that type of quick um, reaction feeling, you know, you have that sensory kind of a feeling in there. And then I think that is a lot easier for them to kind of understand. Absolutely. It has, hasn't really been carved out yet in their minds. It hasn't been accepted yeah. as, as a product that's needed yet. And, and just one last thing I'd say, it's, it's important to recognize that the gaming space at large is not just esports. It's not just competitive. You know, I mean, if you think about it in sports, I mean, let's say the, the uh, in basketball, basketball at large, the basketball community is not just people, not just tryhards trying to make it into the NBA. It's the same thing with gaming, right? There are a ton of casual gamers. In fact, most of the gaming community is made up by quote unquote casual gamers, people that are not training to be that professional, you know, esports player. Um, so for them, it's even harder, right? They're, they're like, you know, they have no reason to train as if yeah. they were going to be, you know, a world superstar. Now I want to talk about product a little bit deeper here. And I thought it was interesting for use of like front of pack, um, like kind of front and center, giving that real estate to an ingredient. You guys put new level on, um, I think it's the focus product. You guys put it front and center on there. You know, most people stick it on the back. They back panel, they, they kind of just hide it. Um, you guys decided to stick it like front and center on front of pack. Um, I mean, it started maybe three years ago now about, um, basically we, we, we had the opportunity to be one of the first brands, um, gaming specific brands, um, to utilize new level. And when, uh, you know, when we learned exactly what the company behind new level, which is nutrition 21, what they were about their history, uh, you know, previously in the pharmaceutical space, their, you know, just experience around clinical research. When we learned just how serious and groundbreaking it was what they were doing, it was a no brainer for us. Really. We just, we saw an opportunity to be one of the first brands to use an ingredient that was clinically studied in gamers proving efficacy and safety the gold standard double blind placebo controlled clinical trial again pr proving safety and efficacy never been done before and that in itself is groundbreaking enough to put it uh, on the front of your label so we wanted to fully back that nutrition 21 is an excellent team they're, they're just their infrastructure all everything they bring to the table is just awesome um, so when we when we learned we had that opportunity we, we wanted to go all in with that and it, it's paid, paid dividends. Has there been a lot of like, I guess, education that you guys have had to bring to really kind of bring the value out of new level um, or has gamers like intuitively just kind of figured out that this is actually really important and yeah. they just kind of get it? Uh, I mean, the short answer is, is no, they, they did not value new level or any of the branded ingredients that, that we use without a lot of education. I will say with the gaming community is they're very intelligent. Generally speaking, say they skew uh, higher in terms of intelligence. It's just their ability to research things, to Google things uh, more than the average person. So we would never back an ingredient or any type of research that had holes in it. So it made it easy with with new level because of the fact, you know, they're published on the National Institute of Health, you know, a fully robust double blind placebo controlled trial. 
So we 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 did have to do a lot of a lot of education to to let people know about it. But after that, it was easy because of the the work that Nutrition Twenty One put in to make their their research so robust. Now you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier around like energy drinks and some of those like big mainstream brands, like if it's Red Bull or Monster or whatever. And, you know, I kind of think about those brands as like, like buying into the gaming culture, the esports market, like they, you know, have probably done things um, authentically and tried to add value to it. But, you know, if it's somebody like Kraft or if it's somebody like, um, you know, Oreo or, or whoever, they're coming in there and looking at the market probably with a little bit of like dollar signs of like, how do I get to this new consumer base? And there's, I guess, a window that's closing, at least in my mind, you guys can tell me if this is right or wrong, but like there's a window that's closing of those brands being able to do that. Um, they're going to be less and less possibilities for you to buy into. And if you do, it, the price tag is going up higher and higher for you to actually buy into that. Versus like what you guys are doing, it's super authentic. You guys are, you know, super deep into the culture um, and taking the, you know, patience, um, building it brick by brick type of a situation. Am I looking at this the right way? I mean, because I do think like a lot of these CPG brands, be it food, beverage, nutritional supplements, whatever it is, they're looking at the gaming market overall and saying, I want to be a part of this somehow, but I want to make sure they understand that like, you can't just throw a check at somebody and then all of a sudden people are looking at you and respecting you. But no, Josh, I love the way you pose this this question. I, I 100% agree that buying a seat at the table, it's really tough right now. And I, I agree in the sense that I think it's going to possibly fully disappear at some point. Now, one way I like to think of this is uh, the phenomenon of the gaming community or the internet culture kind of community it's huge. It's massive. I mean, there's millions of people that, that are involved in it, but it's really separated into like segments. It's segmented to like support groups. So if you looked at it as like a, a like a pie chart, it, think of it as like maybe three major support segments. Um, there's only room for a few brands. So so you might have 10 million people, but you divide you divide that into into sections one group is already fully supporting, for example, G Fuel, right? Another group is fully supporting Sneak, right? Another group is fully supporting Advanced GG, you know, another group is fully supporting uh, Ghost Supplements. There's just not room for more brands, right? All of these brands that I mentioned already have depth to them. They already have authenticity to them in the gaming space. They've already been accepted due to, to years of, of being involved in the space, years of organic Again, organic involvement, showing up at conventions, just being a gamer themselves, fully understanding, you know, how everything works and, and networking with people. And once that ship has sailed, you're just coming in now as an outsider. It's it's going to be fully closed. They're not going to leave G Fuel or, or Advanced GG or Ghost, you know, for this new brand that just happens to pop up because the cards are just stacked against you at that point. Um, so that's one piece. Another piece... Uh, is, is a way to get into the space largely in the past has been um, influencer marketing. Influencers have ruled the entire space of, of gaming for a long time now. Um, and years ago, you could come in, you could work with some of the biggest YouTubers, biggest uh, Twitch streamers um, for a, a reasonable you know, uh, uh, price or deal. Uh, but now it's that is just so inflated. Everybody has top of the line talent agencies backing them. 
And it's again, it's just getting harder and harder. They have a better eye for for products that are kind of like fly by night companies or maybe fly by night product lines, right? Like just, just oh, yeah. a line a line that they know is not going to be there tomorrow. Um, so yeah, it is getting it's getting getting very difficult right now. But Rich, did you want you want to add something to that? Yeah, um, you know, CPGs entering spaces, you know, kind of with the large wallet it is nothing new. You know, we've we've seen this for all time when it comes to brand marketing. Um, the challenge though is when it comes to brand authenticity, you know, it is very difficult for a large CPG to enter the space and create impact in what they may not realize or choose to accept is a fairly developed category. You know, this specter of newness, newness, right? it will limit their ability to make a splash in the space because the reality they don't want to accept is that there are existing strong and, and, and successful incumbent brands in the space that have far more cultural cachet and marketing experience than they do. Um, so it's a difficult spot for many large companies because they haven't been challengers in any category for a very, very long time. And they come in and they go in with their standard tactics, uh, standard tactics, right? Of launch a product, spend a lot of money on ads, get a great face for the TVC and the OTT insertions, and then you hope the market comes to play, right? And the issue with this approach is that, as Eric said, there is already market loyalty at play with myriad brands, you know, ghost guys and sneak girls and, and whatever it is. And you can't simply come into the space with dollar spend um, and just pull people away from existing brand relationships. You know, this is not a category where, you know, I, I have to think there may be a belief that this is a bunch of people will see the category and say, these are a bunch of amateurs. They have no idea what they're doing. We can do it better. We are a house of brands. And the reality is, I think that is um, dismissing absolutely incredible um, marketing and creative that we've seen. I mean, I can riff off uh, some of the some of the brands, you know, like I do admire the work they do. I think it's absolutely incredible. But then on top of that, when it comes down to the actual product itself, you will see in as, as we know that a lot of the larger CPG houses will design formulations that they know can scale. They meet a certain margin target. They meet certain requirements. And they may inadvertently, and I've seen a few rumblings of this, come to the market with an inferior product and a very loud marketing megaphone. And regardless of category, it may not even be supplementation and nutrition. If you do that in any category, you can end up in a very, very um, unfortunate position. Um, whereas, you know, quite frankly, I do think that the you know brands should be looking at joint ventures and development in the space, these CPGs. It makes a lot more sense. The category is far more developed um, than it's not a new category anymore. So uh, it makes much more sense to accelerate uh, than to come in and try to own everything and and potentially lose your shirt over it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think that, you know, if we think about the typical, I guess, three-headed monster of like the barriers of entry where like, you know, supplement brand or whatever you have, you know, manufacturing that's very low at this point. If it's, you know, distribution, same, it's like pretty low. And then you have, you know, marketing that's pretty low. But I think with the gaming side of it, there's also like this 
fourth one that would be like community cost. Do you have the ability to build community and like it's either going to be through patience and time or do you have some unique something that can bring people to you um, that's just, you know, special and, and not many people have that part of it. So it's, it goes back to being patient, which if you're a CPG brand, you know, say a, a billion dollar company and you're spending a good amount of money, people are expecting return ver- fairly quickly to look good on that spend. They're not yep. going to be saying, hey, we got to spend the next two and a half years really building up our community and then everything's going to flip and we're going to make a lot more money. It's just not a metric that I think a lot of them look at. So it's a barrier of entry. I think that is overlooked. I think a lot. Yeah. And you said that very well. It's, it's, it's a barrier to entry. They're not used to, they, they thought that they, at this point, that there is no barrier to entry for them, right? They're so big now they're used to worrying about other brands. It's a barrier to entry for them, but for them, it's, they have the funds, so therefore, they would think there is no bare attention, but it, the way this space is just so different than anything they're used to. It's it's because again, it's not just gaming; it's really new age culture, right? It's the future. It's internet culture. It's Gen Z. It's it's not just gaming. It's just something they're not really used to. I mean, you think about an influencer, like even you know, it, you grow in your YouTube channel, Josh, and and other other YouTubers, other influencers. Um, it, it's similar to that. There's a lot of parallels. You have to build the community first authentically before you even try to sell anything to them, right? It's just, it's a new concept that they might not be familiar with yet, I think. Now, I think a really great strategy, at least that I've kind of been creeping watching from afar of that you guys are doing, I guess you could say is that um, there's a lot of things that you guys are doing that is supporting um, both like the global aspect of the gaming market, because I think a lot of people maybe, you know, as Americans, you're kind of egocentric where you're thinking like, well, this is an American thing and this is, you know, everything's going on, but we're like a blip on the radar. I mean, yeah. you know, we're a big part of it, but I, I definitely think like you, if you look at the whole pie, we're definitely nowhere near the majority. Um, I think we're probably 10, 15% or something of that, of that market. There's a certain aspect of gaming that, um, and maybe this is me underselling like the most elite people, but if you are, you used basketball earlier, if you wanted to go like me and I wanted to go to the NBA, there are things that just, it's not going to happen. I don't care how many hours I practice. It doesn't matter how many times I do. It's like, I'm I know, a certain I know the height, metaphor you're going to. I know the certain, comparison. I can yeah. only jump so high. I can like, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen where I think gaming, if it's esports and you want to, uh, you know, go to the highest level of competition, or if you want to make money by you know, being an entertainer, I guess you could say on the gaming kind of influencer side, it's a lot more relatable, or at least like you can grasp for it a lot, Absolutely. Easier, which I think opens yep. up the market to like really anybody. It could be minority, be it, uh, you know, female, be it, you know, whatever you want to kind of think about it from that perspective. I think the only kind of maybe limiting factor would be is, do you have a high speed internet connection? Probably. Right. Uh, Josh, you're spot on on that. Um, I think about that all the time. It's uh, as long as you have an internet internet connection, and in some cases you don't even need that, right? You can you can yeah. practice without the internet, and then maybe go to um, what do they call them in South Korea? Uh, bongs, uh, Richard. Uh, they're, they're, PC bong, PC bong, PC Yeah, so there, there are there are like internet cafes you could go to, and, and if you want to actually you know hook up to other people yeah. and compete there, but so you don't even need an internet connection in, in all cases. You don't have to be you know the strongest individual. Um, just need you know, you need yourself, you need your brain, you know, uh, hands and, and, um, and you can, you can grasp for it or, or, 
Um, and more than grasp for, I mean, you really, if you put in the time, you, you can make it or, or, or at least find some sort of spot in the space. I think you touched on it too for a second. It's not even just being a professional gamer. You could be a streamer. You could be an entertainer. There's so many different ways you can take gaming. Um, so that in itself, uh, for sure, makes it more appealing to, to the global audience. Uh, but just to go further on your on just your idea of just our, uh, our globalization efforts in general. So we're told all the time, I'm told personally, I know, you know, focus on the U.S. market. That's where all the money's at. You know, you should never be worried about. I mean, you've probably heard this many times, too. Like you, sh you shouldn't be worried about any other markets until you've completely dominated the U.S. market, which one, I mean, that, that's going to take forever to happen. Yeah. Right. I mean, <laughs> right, like two, three hundred years. When am I going to dominate the U.S. market? Um, I look at being global is there's just so many different facets of, of value that you get out of it. One, I'll start this at the top is it's just fun. I enjoy it, right? I enjoy expanding globally. I mean, you get, you know, travel different countries, get involved in different cultures. It just keeps things exciting, keeps things different. Um, number two, uh, a lot of times there are wide open opportunities that other, you know, competitors just haven't tapped into, haven't thought of, or just don't have the fervor, you know, to, to, you know, willingness to go into it. And then number four, which, you know, could be rated up, you know, high in terms of value is, uh, you can make a lot of, uh, have a lot of success. You know, you could, you can, you can do a lot of sales in other countries, even more so the United States, if you do it right. I mean, you know, we, we know China's, you know, the, the population's bigger. We know in India it's bigger. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, in South Korea, for example, gaming is, is what is it? It reaches a national sport there, I believe. It's, it's recognized as, an, as, as a national sport, I believe. Or you know, it, 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 yeah. the way I would describe it is you go to, yeah, you go to South Korea. Uh, gaming is just, it, it's, it's, it's simply a part of what you do up until you go into military service. It's your career before you go to the military. A very, a very completely reasonable one. It's also shown on mainstream television. My wife always jokes that when it started to pick up here, she goes, oh man, everyone here is really far behind. We, we were watching the Starcraft channel in Busan like 15 <laughs> years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so much opportunity, but it goes back to, I mean, what we were talking about before we, we started this uh, recording, Josh, is, is what do you enjoy? I mean, I, yeah. I personally enjoy, I know Rich does, I know a lot of the team at Advanced we enjoy expanding globally. Um, so I'll, I'll touch on I'll, I'll touch on some of the areas that we're going into, some of the regions. One, this is something that we haven't made public, I don't think at all yet, but we are fully expanding into Mexico, um, fully abiding by the Mexican government regulations, which is something very interesting, Josh, I don't know if, if you know this, but they don't allow uh, large amounts of sucralose in products. So you actually have to use real sugar I, I don't know if because of that or other reasons, but there's not a lot of people, you know, again, willing to do that, make products um, under under those limitations. So we're fully expanding into Mexico and other parts of, of Latin America, fully expanding into Europe. We have a whole team on the ground that's, that's building that out, um, fully expanding into uh, parts of the Middle East, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, Dubai, Canada, you know, some, we're already doing, but we're going to, we want to be more on the ground there. So we have a team uh, working on that, you know, Australia, New Zealand as well. Uh, and what, uh, and then uh, parts of, uh, of, of Asia as well. So um, Japan, South Korea, as we mentioned, uh, we want to be in as many places as possible. It's just, it, it's, it's not easy. It takes time for sure. And, and, you know, you need to abide by the regulations, but um, I'm looking forward to it. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's a good time, something I enjoy and a lot of value there. So. Yeah, and uh, another aspect, right? In addition to distribution, you know, 
there is a reality, right, that we recognize that a lot of the categories, flavor profiles come from a North American or European centric palate. You know, our customers, our staff, you know, have global experiences and it's a uh, it's a goal of ours, you know, to, be, to begin to launch flavors that really represent those types of global tastes. And and we're really, you know, selective about about how we do this. You know, it's not just looking at a flavor board and saying, hey, this looks cool. We we always want to make sure that we have like a like a genuine license to operate, you know, based off of what our real experiences are. You know, our, our three recent Asian inspired energy flavors were lychee, taro bubble tea and and ramune, you know, and, and those literally came from internal staff experiences, which is basically the reality of, you know, what food and drink one encounters when you grow up in Toronto. Like that's just what is around here. Um, and this idea of like, you know, it was fascinating because, you know, for some of us, we might think, oh, lychee, who, you know, that's the common one. That's the starter flavor. So here's the inside baseball. Okay. Lychee, we launched first because we figured it was the most commonly known flavor. It, it's, we see it. Many people have seen it. Other, other brands make lychee flavored drinks. Um, and then we thought, okay, then we're going to hit them with taro bubble tea, you know, because the anime market, younger people, they're into gaming. This is a healthier version, brings the benefits of energy, and it's now only 50 calories, not 400. That's wonderful, you know. Uh, and then we thought, okay, we're going to finish it with ramune, you know, the marble soda, Japanese, you know, it's like mm -hmm. a Japanese citrus beverage, which we thought, okay, that's going to, that's, this is the real passion play. It's one we wanted to absolutely bring out to market, but we know it may need a lot of work. You know, like it's going to need a lot of effort. Um, but what was funny is right after Lychee and Bubble Tea launched, you know, we spoke to partners and they said, you know, one of them, I was amazed internally. They'll say, oh, yeah, this is the first time I'd ever had, uh, you know, Lychee or uh, Taro. And, and it, it dawned on us. We said, you know, forget about the world being a big place. The U.S. is a big place. Yeah. Distribution chains. The local demography, those all vary. Um, so we thought, you know, let's, but, you know, this is something we, and it really actually reinforced our desire to want to continue, you know, uh, to see how, um, you know, to see what we could, we could do and, and grow from this. But, you know, it's not just the distribution piece. It's that there are so many flavors out there in the world that we really want to bring in. And what better way to do it than through something that can give you a performance benefit along the way. Yeah, I love that idea because I think there's, you know, this idea of like, you know, localization and, and globalization, you kind of mash those two words up and you get globalization. It's kind of a, okay. you know, business jargon thing or whatever. But you can also play with that same strategy in your domestic market, especially like in the U.S. where there's a you know melting pot of different things. There's significant market available to some of these unique kind of little pockets of cultures um, that would love, a, you know, products that are more relatable to their nostalgia and what they grew up drinking and and those types of things over you know what we think about as nostalgic and you know maybe the the snack foods or whatever that we grew up in North America but you know talk about just a quick point that you brought up Eric around you know the I guess it's a juxtaposition where you know marketplaces um, and you know be it social and things like it's become borderless you know it, so it's easy to to go and try to expand into some of these other markets. Um, yet, to your point, it's difficult. And, you know, it, it adds complexity to the business. And there's a lot of regulatory stuff. And there's a lot of like, you know, having SKU 1A, 1B, 1C sometimes, not necessarily having a universal SKU that you can put into certain things. And you have to kind of balance all those trade-offs 
you know, in in kind of the thing. But to your point, because the market you're you're seeking is so global, it's hard to use the old kind of playbook to say like until you dominate the US, you can't move to the next thing, you can't move to the next thing. Because by the time you get to that point, there's going to be a local brand that's probably going to pop up that's going to take each one of these things. You know, even in you know Europe at this point, there's a few significant gamer brands. Um, I think so Level I- Up that was acquired uh, by Glambia, um, at least part of it, um, that's I think based maybe in Germany. You talked about Sneak before, Sneak which is, is technically, yep, UK. You know, in the UK. Yeah. Um, but in, and I'm sure there's so many other ones that I'm forgetting, but I think that for you guys to, you know, sit and wait for the next five years, even though I think, you know, and you guys probably agree with this is like, we are definitely in the early, early, early stage is of like what this market could be, uh, of everything, you know, regardless of how each day you guys probably wake up and say, we've got to move quicker. We got to move faster. We're, we're missing opportunities. We're doing all these types of things, but (laughs) if you kind of look at the, I guess, yeah. the timeline, you go like 10 years out, you're going to laugh at how small the market is today. And like mm-hmm. how many opportunities, if you just like took the time to actually build the way you want to build and build it the right way and, and kind yeah. of believe in that vision, who cares about the stuff that's flying by you that's not for you or whatever. But but that. I think it's it, it's tough because I think as an entrepreneur and all that, you have to like play both sides of those types of situations. It's not as easy as like, here's the playbook, you follow the playbook. I like to go the directions that I'm just motivated to go and that I have fun with because you can definitely get trapped in that, you know, where your head's spinning, you feel like you're just missing out on every opportunity. You can't do enough every day. Um, You know, when I am able to shut that voice off, I'm like, okay, you know, I enjoy, you know, these places. I enjoy expanding the business this way. I'm just going to try to enjoy and have fun. And and, uh, I think, like you said, years later, when you look back on it, it's going to be like, wow, okay. It was enough room for everybody. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> now, I kind of like was talking a little bit into the future, and I want to kind of ask you maybe what you're seeing for maybe shifts and not necessarily maybe even the gamer nutrition market, but just like the gaming market as a whole, because in, like in my mind, at least and I've mentioned this a ton of different times to people is like right now, I think gaming is, you know, it's it's joysticks, it's mouses, it's keyboards, it's, you know, it's computer screens or whatever. But if we think about this way out there, it's probably some semblance of AR VR where it's physicality, it's actually playing gameplay, but also adding elements of, you know, those types of things. Like that's in my mind, how I see it now, that's probably way out there in terms of like when that actually becomes like impactful. So hopefully you can like ring me in and bring something a little bit more close to home of value because like my mind's going way out. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you're thinking more of a, yeah, the technological evolution. I wasn't thinking so much in, in that way. I mean, there will definitely be a lot of evolutions in, in the games themselves. Uh, VR, it's hard for me personally to see uh, that fully taking over. And it would have to drastically improve because if anybody yeah. here has tried VR, it, it's fun. It's kind of a novelty, but it, it gives you a major headache. It's just hard to do for long periods of time. Where I really see gaming or technology going is just an extension of where it's at now, um, just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, so very uh, streaming-based, very community-based, where right, right now it's it's almost like training for, uh, there's all different areas you can train for. You could be a professional gamer you're training for, or you're training to be an, uh, a gaming entertainer in the space, or you're just training to just kind of increase your community following in the space, but more and more connection between 
the games and the community are like the social media platforms. I do still see just internet culture still becoming this, you know, segmented, but, but segmented in major chunks where it's going to be very influencer based. The biggest influencers will be at the top and like 90% of the community will follow these like three influencers. And you see it even right now. And that's why these top influencers are making just all the deals. Um, the, the biggest games in the world, the Halos, the Call of Duties, are all reaching out to these single individuals to help promote their game. Because these single individuals, they might just have one name, one influencer name. Um, I'll, I'll use one for an example, Tim the Tapman, who's, who's one of the biggest right now, if not the biggest gaming influencer in the world. Um, they'll reach out to him because Tim the Tapman, that one person comes with millions and millions and millions of influence, like of people that follow him, that will do what he says. So that's what we really all need to look out for is, is follow the evolution of, of the influencers and that being kind of attached to the social media. And then also just the, the, the marketing phenomena that you're going to see. There's because of the way things are, are structured now, and again, with the internet and how easy it is to maybe come in and have a uh, a gaming powder or a pre-workout, you could start you can start your own brand. There's lots of contract manufacturers out there. There's lots and lots of competition in terms of people entering the space. But the people that are really succeeding are the people that like G Fuel because of their evolution in marketing. They're doing some of a lot of brands don't really understand what brands like G Fuel are actually doing. Like the the improvements in marketing, it's stuff that we just have not seen before. I'm talking high quality video, high quality custom 3D animations, 2D cartoons, you know, hitting every single market channel, marketing channel, TikTok, Instagram, Instagram Reels, YouTube Shorts, all simultaneously, right? And doing it better than everybody else and just hammering that. And when you compare that to some of the older brands in like the sports supplement space that might've had, has a, has a, a gaming line in terms of the media, in terms of that marketing phenomena, they're just not there. Um, so I, I would look for this marketing, you know, to just continue to evolve. Uh, the relevancy battle is going to get even more intense than it is now. I, I completely agree. And I think we've all seen this is that there's a lot people underestimate exactly how much incredible work is being done by, by so many brands. Like, 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 I know we talk about G Fuel a lot, but I mean, I, I think about some of the other brands in the space, you know, folks like, you know, Sneak, I, I mentioned earlier, Josh, you know, brands that I admire. I mean, I just, I love their use of, of creative. Uh, I love their, the, you know, their choice of channels and where they've decided to create and foster, um, you know, community development. And these are just, there's so much going on. I think before we actually ever head into new new venues and new channels uh, within, you know, sort of uh, technologies and opportunities, and you're talking a little bit about like VR metaverse stuff, you know, I think the world still has to settle into its new form. One of the biggest shifts that we, it changes is that, you know, the concept of digital hybrid, you know, it was always a theory. It was a social theory that, that we have always had. And we used to always say digital first, and we've started to touch on digital only. Uh, and what happens when we start to remove some of these other touch points and it changes the way we start to engage in our value systems um, and seeing, you know, I think I think there's a lot more that we're I mean, quite frankly, I have no idea where that's going to end up. What I can say, though, is that um, the direction that we that you can see when you take a look at all the players in the space, the brands that are doing really, really great work and really making uh, a splash are are doing things in actually I like to think in quite distinct ways. 
there's unique directions that have been happening. And that has been, if you know, I you know when we talk trend casting, we always say, where is this going to go? But one thing I think that's actually already started and we started to see this little, these, these bifurcations occurring, I would say about a year ago, you are seeing products like there are these, as Eric said, there's these sort of segments that are brewing and it's, and within those segments, it's not just consumption or interest or media that's different. The way the values, the, the core internalized values and customer need states are, they're being expressed in completely new and different ways. And I'm actually quite frankly looking forward to seeing how this ends up over by the end of this year, because yeah. we are, we've gone through a full two years of this digital hybrid model and we might start to open up now. So now is when we're going to see what the actual effect was. And I think this is the year of brainstorming. This will be the season of next six to six months or so. I'm sure certain all of us are going to be coming up with some pretty new and wild ideas for expansions. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I and mean, I think when you were talking about some of those things, like I think a lot of just humans were subconsciously conditioned during these last couple of years to like bounce so much more forward towards the digital side that, um, you know, it became, you know, even like we're talking on, you know, teams, but everybody, you know, the, you know, Zoom or whatever, it's become a utility in a lot of senses where this is like now just a way for us to meet in this new kind of virtual world together. And like, it was something that just maybe business people did before, but now it's like, you know, everybody, that's what you were doing. And then over time that then becomes less scary the next time the next kind of thing gets built off at the next block that gets built off of it. And then all of a sudden it's a lot easier to make these big changes when people are accustomed to um, a little bit of these kind of earlier stages. But I think we'll look back on these couple of years and say, man, like that was the foundation for a ton of just quick um, consumer behavioral trends and, and a lot of kind of things that are going to happen in the near future. Well, I want to thank you guys both for giving me some time. I think it was super interesting. I know it could probably talk forever, but um, we need to get back to work, I'm sure. But hopefully I'll be seeing you guys in person soon. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having us. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. If you have any comments or questions about anything I discussed during it, open the podcast episode notes and click on any of my social media account links to reach out to me directly. 